What is up, guys? Welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. What I'm going to be doing with this show is actually showing you guys what exactly you need to look for prior to buying, building, selling, or even renting a home. I'm going to bring in some of the top people in the industry so we can dive deeper into discussion about these topics and really give you guys the tools you need to learn and know prior to making one of the biggest purchases of your lifetime. So with that being said, guys, welcome to The Real Build. Welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. And today I have a special guest coming all the way from San Diego, California. He is the president of Cornerstone First Mortgage and brings over six years of experience to our, his privately owned bank headquartered in San Diego. As president, he oversees the operations and production of over $2.1 billion in loans annually. He was born and raised in Bellevue, Washington and, and obtained a bachelor's degree in business administration at Washington State University. Shortly after he moved to San Diego where he met his wife, Chelsea. Together they have two daughters. In his free time, he enjoys training for triathlons and travel around the world with his family. The Mortgage Geek was created in 2015 to help educate real, the real estate community, which we'll get into. Sean Cahan, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today, man? Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, doing amazing. Doing great. Glad to have you, man. Yeah. Glad to have you. Um, sure. Glad to dive in. Uh, what you're doing, obviously, you are a busy man these days because a lot of people are buying houses, and we're going to talk about that. So... Happy yeah, to have you on and get into it. What I always start with, obviously, talk about yourself, who you are, where you came from. Obviously, I brushed on it in the intro. So who is Sean Cahan? Cool. Well, I hope we have enough time because I can talk about myself for a while. It's all no, good. Going. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. So, man, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm a guy from Washington State University or Washington State, the one to Wazoo, uh, and then <clears throat> came down to California on vacation. I never left. So that's sort of essentially who I was originally. Um, fell in love with the beach and went um, directly to door-to-door sales of like perfume because I was so broke that uh, <laughs> I didn't even have enough to buy like a $200 mattress. So I s- literally slept on the carpet for the first two months of my new house. Uh, and then uh, got into mortgages, not knowing shit, actually. And just, I would just say like who I am, always have been. So I started my first company when I was 17 years old. It's just right. like who I am in a nutshell is I love to have fun. I love to be around other people, but I just, I'm not the smartest dude in the room, but I will just work harder than anybody. I just don't stop. I'm like a machine. So um, that's really who I am. So about anything that I do, I will always, so I just started getting into like racing cars and, um, you know, very involved. So I'm going out to the track a lot, really working on my time. People are like, man, what do you know? What are you doing in your spare time? Well, hanging out with my kids and driving cars. Cause I'm trying to get into it. So anything that I do, I try to like do it the best as I possibly can. And then I'll make a decision if I want to continue or not. So I love that, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm very similar. Uh, just, you know, may not be the smartest person, but I'll outwork some, you know, somebody else in my profession. That's what I love doing too, is just 
you know, it's, it's a drive too. And, and your drive obviously speaks for itself and you saying also no experience in mortgages, but you've built a company like you have to $2.1 billion <laughs> in revenue, which is impressive. What, what you do at 17, what was the business at 17? That I you started, started selling, you know, that was back in the day when like car parts, you know, lowering your whip, like on, you know, the Jetta, <laughs> the Honda, yeah, yeah. The, that's when like the C, the Civic EX came out and we put, you know, exhaust <laughs> Fast and the on Furious back in the day. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, I still love Fast and the Furious. So oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the smartest cat in the room always. So like my favorite movies are like Fast and the Furious, Bad Boys, Hot Tub Time Machine, anything sophisticated <laughs> I don't watch. But um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's why I just started seeing all these people and I was like, wait a second, how? I can make money by doing this because I know all the people buying it. So hold on. So I went over and just started making deals with like all like the local motorsports shops going like, Hey, I'll bring clients to you, but I need a 25 or 30%, you know, spread on the difference. I'll bring them in here. And I had to use somebody else's name because I wasn't 18 yet on the business license. And I literally just kind of weaseled my way in between <laughs> and then started selling like motorsports. And uh, people were like, man, what what drove you to do that? And I was like, I have no idea. Money, maybe? I wanted some <laughs> new Jordans. And uh, so, yeah, that was it. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a grind. It's figuring stuff out as you're growing up, too. I mean, I was the same way. I was, I don't even know, man. I've sold so many, like just getting into sales and selling so many random things, too, throughout my life. And then I sold cars at one point, too, at 20 years old and had, had a lot of success doing that, too. But, you know, when you're, when you're a salesperson like yourself, you have a gift. Uh, I always think too, there's kind of one or two people you either can sell stuff or you can't, you know, you can 100%. go to all the different courses you want and try and learn, but you're a salesperson. You're kind of born that way, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So like in the mortgage crash, um, I still, I was a broker at the time. And so I still, um, well, I wasn't the actual broker of record. My partner was, but I was the main salesperson, you know? So Hey man, they were rough. And so I was like, well, I got to feed up time. I got a fiance right now and I got to figure out something to do. So I started doing it, but then I went and sold um, lumber with my dad. And like you were saying, like salesman, like, you know how to sell. It doesn't matter what the fucking product is. Yeah. You just know how to sell. Right. So I don't know anything about lumber. <laughs> okay. Even though I grew up around it here and I'm in my first year, in the only year I was there, I sold $2 million of wood products. And my dad's like, what did you, how did you do that? You don't even know how to even like spell the specifications yet. Every single time you place like a purchase order, we have to come in and like correct it. And I was like, man, dad, I'm just a people person. <laughs> just a people person. So that was it. That's the difference, man. Yeah. I mean, you're either a people person, you got the confidence and you can sell anything. That's the thing, you know, it's, 100%. it's, it's a gift too. Uh, let's go into your, what you're doing now, obviously. Yeah, I mean, for sure. why, why choose mortgages? Why be a loan officer? How'd you get into that? What, what was your reasoning between, you know, you could have done something else. Why, why, why this profession? Um, I didn't choose this profession. This profession chose me. 
So I just sent out resumes and somebody picked me up and said, do you know anything about mortgages? And I said, I don't know shit, but I will, like I said, I'll just work harder than everybody here. Um, My third month I made $50,000 and I was like, and I broke the company record and they were like, you should train people. I'm like, I'm not going to train anyone. I don't even know what I'm selling yet. So it was more that the mortgage industry found me and why I stayed in is because when I find something I think that any like good salesman does this, right? When you find something that you're good at selling and then your brain starts to remember all of the little teeny, you know, then um, uh, the, the guidelines for it, like, you know, and, and you really start to get involved in, in what you're selling, then you bring a lot of education to the table. And so when you start bringing education to the table, that's when more and more people will start following you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like becoming a good salesman, learning all the intricacies of the actual industry, becoming education, <clears throat> educating others, and then people just follow you. And so that's why where my career was, I was a LO, then I went to a branch manager, <clears throat> and then I had the opportunity to buy part of a bank or 50% of the bank. And so that's what I did, a uh, small local bank. But so I stayed in the industry just because like my, I remember everything because I love it so much. Right. And so like, I tried to like, I don't go to a lot of people and ask them questions. I'll go and try to figure it out because the human brain, if I go and figure it out compared to just listening to somebody, I'll remember it. I'll retain the information more. So um, like six years ago, I literally just started reading um, underwriting guideline books and my brain would just start remembering. So when a client will call, I would just know the fucking answer and I could educate them with facts, right? So like laws, what law works? When does it work? When did it come out? And I sell based upon facts, right? So like if I go into a room with five other loan officers, I'm going to nail that client because I'm going to tell them laws. I'm going to tell them facts. I'm going to tell them guideline. I'm going to tell them the actual like guideline number, and then the client's going to go like, well, okay, obviously I'm going to go with this guy compared to somebody else going like, well, I mean, my underwriter did say at one time, you know, and it kind of makes you, I always say, makes you look like a sardine in a can of sardines, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be a fucking sardine. <laughs> it's impressive. I mean, I, I, I get a hundred percent what you're saying too, because you put in the legwork, you, you got the knowledge, you do the research, you learn from firsthand experience, which I'm big on that too. Uh, you know, I go back to when I sold cars, I had no idea what the hell I was doing with cars. I didn't even know the product, the brands, anything, but I wanted to be the best at that dealership. I've said this story in the past. So what did I do? You know, at the time, nothing, you know, there wasn't really much on a computer. I mean, we had internet stuff, but I took all, they still had car brochures and I took every brochure out of the brochure room, took it home, studied every single detail about every car on that lot and wrote it down memory, you know, just kept using what I wrote down. And then over time, boom, learned it, knew every single little thing about those cars and I was their top salesman month after month after month and put a lot of money in my pocket at 20 years old. But unfortunately, I didn't know how to handle that money at 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, right. So blowing it. Yeah, yeah. So that went quick. But, you know, long, uh, long story short, it's same as you, man. It's it's you have a passion for what you do. And even, even just growing up and doing other things like the car parts, like you said, you learned it, you knew it, you knew what you were selling. You did the legwork, you, you know, cause most people get into 
a profession and I mean, especially what you're doing, there's so many pieces to it. And they're yeah. kind of like you said, they're like, well, you know, this person said this, you know, you want to sign up with me and I'll get you, you know, they don't have the knowledge like you, but that's where you, you're a step ahead. I do it with building, you know, I, in real estate, cause they both relate. I know how, how a house is built from the ground up. Yeah. Not your, not your typical realtor does that. Most typical realtors, isn't this a nice size room? How's the furniture look? You know, me, I'm like, look at this. The exterior is built like this. These cabinets are built like this. You know, so it's just that knowledge. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I was actually speaking with a referral partner of mine and he, uh, he, she, you know, I'm not going to say any, like, I don't want anyone to remember this, but uh, I was like, how did you end up double ending the deal? You know? And he's like, you know, Sean, I, when the when the client came up to me and I was leaving the open house, I opened the door back up and I went in there and I opened up all the blinds instead of just saying that I've closed it down. And I was like, holy shit, really? <laughs> I was like, so we get into like, like those things can happen. So instead of like going and becoming more educated and finding out like all the specifications of the house, like I was expecting to be like, Oh my gosh, he felt really comfortable with me because like, I know the house in and out. I know the plumbing and how it was like, you know, the light fixtures, um, the, the courts, the, the cabinets, how it's not going to, how it's going to last long because it was a new build when it was built, all these types of things, you know what I mean? So I was expecting this big, huge story. And then it was like, I opened up the door and let him in. And I was like, fuck. All right. Uh, this kind of backfired on me. you know. <laughs> and so I think that a lot of people in sales get a couple lucky shots. And then all of a sudden they ride that wave. Right. And instead of using that and going like, wow, I'm going to go and learn more information because I believe that the human brain is wants to be lazy, right? We don't want to test our brain that often. So if we can get into a pattern of being lazy and still accomplishing the goals that we set, we really can never, then we'll get to a plateau. You know, some people in the sales are like, oh my God, well, I've been here for 20 years and I sell 30 cars a year. And it's like, well, why don't you sell 60 cars a year? Mm -hmm. Look at your, look at your fucking database, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's because we become lazy in our mind because that we think about our mind, right? We always wanted to be lazy. Like if we can find a cheaper way, like instead of reading a book, why do we have cliff notes? It's because we want to be lazy, right? We want to do everything a little bit faster if we can and not to do as much homework in our brain working. So, um, you know, that one person just might not going out and like you said, going and getting all the specifics of that. Uh, of those automobiles and really reselling it and going in and really kind of putting a lot of boots on the ground and calling our past clients and reselling and why they should do something else and why they should sell that house and get into another house. I think that we just become lazy and we kind of just kind of float through. So that's why a lot of people shine and a lot of people get really plateaued for a long time. Yeah. Well said. I mean, cause it's just, it's like, even with real estate too, people sell a couple of deals and then they don't follow up. They don't call their, their, their leads. They don't, you know, they just say, eh, you know, this person will call me when they're ready to buy a house. Then that person ends up buying with another realtor that did call them, you know? And it's just, it's, it's, 
And especially in real estate too. I mean, well, in your profession too. I mean, there's so many people, especially now, uh, signing, you know, getting their mortgage license or getting their real estate license and just going into it because their friend tells them how much money they're making, but then they think they're going to make money overnight and they get into it and they end up spending more money than they're actually making on licensing and all this kind of stuff and MLS fees and dues and it adds up and it's like, wow, yeah, this wasn't like it was chalked up to be, well, you didn't put in any legwork and things don't happen under overnight unless you put in that legwork. So it's, it's just calm. It's so common. It, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I grew up, my dad's a pretty wicked salesman as still to this day. Like he'll never stop. Actually. It's pretty awesome. He's in his uh, late seventies and he'll never quit actually his job. <laughs> and, uh, he always taught me like never look at a phone and expect that thing to ring. Yeah. Never. You got to make that phone ring. And if you make that phone ring, that's how you become successful. Right. So, uh, yeah, to kind of parlay in what you were saying about people entering the market, there's a lot of new people entering the market. So here's an example. I had, I had another loan officer that started and I gave him 2000 leads and I was like, here you go. Call these people. Right. And I was like, Hey, in the near future, I'm going to get a dialer for you. So it'd be easier. A week later, I was like, hey, how's it called? He's like, oh, I haven't called anyone. I was like, well, why not? You said, he said, well, I haven't, you told me that there's going to be a dialer so that they can dial like 10, you know, calls at the same time. So I was waiting for the dialer to get fixed and I was, or created. And I was like, wait, you didn't call anyone? And I literally just picked up my phone. And I was like, you have one of these. This is how you fucking call people. I don't care if you dial it one by one. You don't need a dialer to make it even easier for you. Like you wasted a whole entire week not calling people. Wild. Yeah. Wild. And that's unfortunately, that's that's how majority of people are. That's, you know, in, in these businesses too. I mean, even on the building end, uh, there's a lot of people getting in construction, people that, even in home building and in Florida, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. And, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of patience with customers because some of our projects take two years. I mean, it's just, there's just so much work that goes into it. Then you got these guys coming in that really don't have a clue. They're book smart instead of field smart. Uh, That's another thing. And they just think they're going to get in and make a ton of money and, and not have to deal with anything or anybody. But when you're in a relationship with a customer, you're in a relationship for a long term. Oh, you know, yeah. it's not just the warranty. It's, it's continuously after the warranty that you want them to keep calling you because they're going to refer you. There's 100%. some business, you know, there's business right there. Sphere of influence is like the cheapest, um, uh, referral source that we just literally don't tap into. And mm-hmm. when you start to tap into it, then you start to realize how powerful a sphere of influence is. And I think that um, there's a coach out there, Brian Buffini always teaches that as well. It's just like, focus on your sphere of influence first, right? Like going out and go getting a new customer is five times harder than just going to get in the customer from your current, current database. I mean, call them. <laughs> it's like, so I have this uh, system called HomeBot, and uh, 
I just merged with a, well, they, they merged underneath me. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have some trusty people, but, uh, they, they came over there, a large outfit. They do, um, you know, they'll probably do like $800 million this year. And I, and I showed them some of the softwares that I have and it sent out a blast to the email to their, you know, past clients. And they were like, Holy shit. I cannot believe how many deals I'm getting right now. All I did was just send this, this system is so great. I'm like, yeah, the system is really good, but all I really did was force you on paper to reach out to your past clients. That's it. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, holy shit, that's so powerful. You know, uh, your your past clients, like you get so many deals from them in, in any business. You can sell cars, you can sell real estate, you can you know, do mortgages, whatever it is, just reach out because if they, if they close the transaction, they had a really good time with you. Well, a next time that they do it, they probably just want to hear from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is that maybe I always say every successful closing, you get five referrals over a lifetime. So if I've done 3000 transactions, well, then I also, you know, now I get to get 15,000 transactions. Um, over my lifetime. And if I do an additional 12,000 uh, transactions, then, hey, man, I'm going to be the happiest man on the planet. So I'll be pretty, pretty excited about that. Yeah. I mean, for those of you listening, it's just follow up. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's preached upon and it's, it's sales 101 to follow up, maintain the relationships with your clients as much as possible too. Don't just sell them on something and say, all right, goodbye. Thanks for the cash. Because uh, unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do too. So it's just, it's crazy to me. But what you're saying is money right there. Um, so let's talk about obviously what you're doing. Because obviously, this show is directed towards, you know, kind of showing people what to look for in uh, real estate industries, construction. You're a big part of my industry personally. Uh, especially now, interest rates still low, people still getting loans on even on construction builds and so on. We're doing some bigger houses that people are loaning the whole entire projects. Um, What? So let's talk about first, like, you know, how would a customer go about getting a loan? I mean, it's common sense to some people. But for those people that don't know, briefly touch on that. And and let's then talk about the kind of typical loans you're doing personally. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, hey, if anyone does want to get a loan, then I would just, you know, reach out to your local lender or I am licensed uh, in 35 states. My cornerstone's licensed in 38, 45 here in three weeks. But um, so like if you are looking out, we could be more than happy to help you. You normally start with like a phone call, get to know the person that you're going to be working with at least for like a couple of minutes, you know, and don't go into detail because that person, if a loan officer starts spitting off like all the different interest rates and the different programs and they don't have anything on you, that person is pure only about sales, sales, you know what I mean? And they're probably just selling, you know, the interest rate that they have. They probably are not like super knowledgeable about what they're doing because they're trying to sell you out of the gate. I always say like, Hey, nice to meet you. Here's who I am. Complete the application. So I get your personal information. So number one step, do the application, fill it out to the best of your knowledge. You know, um, all it is is your personal information. Um, and then kind of start asking the questions like, what's my down payment? What are the minimum down payments? Set your goals. Like, a lot of people come in and go, what am I pre-approved for? And I'm like, well, hold on here real quick. One second. I'm going to gather your data 
then you're going to tell me what you're comfortable with. Then let's come together as a team and create a pre-approval, right? Mm -hmm. So if we do it that way, I'm not just looking at a, you know, at a machine and going like, well, you approve for $2 million. And they're like, what? I only wanted to go to 600. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Let's scale back a little bit. Right. Or, Hey, you're only approved for 300,000. What? I want to go to a million. And I had 700 grand to put down. I'm like, Oh, well, I, I didn't get that information, you know? Um, so that, that application supporting docs does not mean I'm going to come up with this magic number because your your monthly outgoes it differs between people no matter what your actual income is right and what your assets are just because you send me over a million dollars of assets or two hundred thousand dollars in assets or ten thousand dollars in assets I don't know how much of that amount of money that you want to spend or if you want to spend any right mm -hmm. so um, doing that basic information and giving the actual person the uh, the the supporting data to then have the conversation about what you feel comfortable with. I always say, don't look at the market. Don't look at, you know, the trend. Um, oh my gosh, I have to buy because of interest rates. Okay. Don't buy because of something that's out of your control. Never, ever do that. Like I've bought in a lot of real estate right now. The market is skyrocketing. People are like, holy shit. I can't believe that people are paying this amount for houses. Why would you ever buy? I want to wait for a dip. And then I just closed on a house two days ago, right? Well, because I don't care what the market's doing. I don't buy because of the interest rate. I buy because of the asset and the payment. And whatever situation comes at that time, that's what I'm going to be using. Like, I don't know if the market's going to go up or go down. I don't know if the interest rates are going to go up or go down. But the amount at the time, the interest rate compared to like what I paid in my down payment, that payment for the next 30 years, I'm very comfortable with. And that's what I'm basing off. Now, in the future, if the interest rates come down again and I can better my situation, cool, right on. Mm -hmm. Or if the house goes up in value, that, that's fucking rad. Cool. <laughs> Do I want to sell it? I don't know. But too many people today, I get calls every single day going, hey, what am I pre-approved for? What's the max? And, you know, do you think that the market's going to go up? Or do you think the rates are going to come down? Should I hold off? You know, and I'm like, hold off for what reason, right? Like, you're really holding off for something that, like, you have zero control over. Nothing. So I just say strike whenever you are ready, not the market. Yeah, I love that. Because uh, it is true. I mean, everybody that goes into it, like you just said, is, you know, that's the first question. What interest rate can I get? Okay, you got to apply. Let me figure that out. You know, give me an application. I'm not just going to throw you out a number to string yeah. you along to get your deal. So I like that and what you're doing because you're upfront with them. You're being honest. And then from there, it's like, okay, where do you think the market is going to go? Where do you think, you know, we all have our predictions. I'm in the building world. I'm seeing, you know, the material shortages, stuff like that starting to take shape and form and lumber prices through the roof. Uh, obviously that's going to price people out of certain building, you know, and, and that that's how it works usually. And if the market goes down, then people will get priced back in so on. So if you can't afford a house, don't build it right now and then wait till, you know, material cost, everything becomes a little more affordable. Just got to be patient. 
Um, so what you're saying is huge uh, as far as, you know, market conditions and everything too. What about typical loans you're doing? You know, how does, how does somebody know where to go as far as a loan? Where, where, what kind of loan should I get? Is that, ca- you know, how much cash they have to put down? Is that what, what are kind of, how do you judge that? So here's, here's a really good, the, the different type of products that we, I mean, I do all products. So the Cornerstone um, is a uh, direct seller for agency. So that means that we service our own agency conventional product. Um, and then also we have our own jumbo product as well. So we, we got the whole slew. That's, that's the advantage of like a mortgage bank over an institutional is that I got everybody's product all within under my one house. Right. So if this one bank has a, as a portfolio or a portfolio, like a doctor program, and I sell to them on the capital market side and I'm delegated underwrite for them or even non-delegate, but I'm the one funding bank. I now have their product and I have their product and I actually underwrite their products and I fund it and then I sell it to them later on, you know? So that's one of the advantages, but I, I you know, most of the products that we're selling right now is your, is your base conventional. Um, and then also your government programs, your FHA, your VA is a very popular program as well. I would say that, the main indicators on which product you're going to go with is down payment and credit score. Okay. Down payment credit score. So let's say that you are dead set on going on conventional product because you have three and a half or 3% down or 5% down, but you have like, you know, a lower credit score, like a 660. Well, geez, you know, an FHA loan, um, even though it has mortgage and monthly mortgage insurance, because of the type of loan it is, it will actually yield a better interest rate and mortgage insurance on the factor rate than a conventional because it's government and government does not is not so finicky about credit score, right? So like same down payment, credit score is driv- driving you to go over to an FHA product because your actual monthly payment will be lower. Um, also, people get really scared still to this day of mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I talk to a lot of uh, parents and they're like, I do not want my kid to have mortgage insurance. They need to wait till they have 20% down. I'm like, I mean, <laughs> why, why would you wait? You know what I mean? A of all, a millennial saving 20% in this day and age, if they make a hundred grand, you better believe it. They are spending that hundred grand. Okay. <laughs> Uh, us millennials, we are jamming. I mean, we're moving, we're shaking. We're trying to use every single thing as a cash machine and the 20% will never get there. How do we build wealth? Well, we build wealth by taking what down payment that we do have, put it onto an asset, making the, but we are really good at making the monthly payment. So continue making the monthly payment in five to 10 years, that monthly payment turns into the equity. Now our net worth has increased. People get scared of mortgage insurance, but you got to remember in 1998, there was a law that was passed called the HPA, the Homeowners Protection Act, to say that the mortgage insurance will be released no matter what is based upon the purchase price or appraised value at the time of closing. And once you get to 78%, then that mortgage insurance is removed. So if the housing market goes, right, and people are scared of it, the mortgage insurance still is going to go, it's going to come off. Okay. Keep making that payment. So you don't, and the mortgage insurance with like a high credit score is so low these days because there's so much competition, right? 
they're not like I always call them like the big big bad brothers back in like you know 2008 9 10 when they had their own set of guidelines because they took on all the risk right the mortgage insurance is there to take on the risk um so fun fact right i'm going to throw this out there real quick and i'll see if you know it as well okay would a bank rather loan to somebody you know when people are like i got a big down payment would a bank rather loan to somebody with 5% down or 20% down and why uh, i'd probably say 5% down because obviously that's their the loan amount that the bank's giving is going to be <laughs> higher or obviously they're going to have to loan more money and then the bank's going to get more interest on that money. Correct? Okay. So we do get a little bit more interest on the money, but the reason why is because there's a mortgage insurance and on 5% down the coverage is greater than your actual uh the 80%, right? So when you do a uh 5% down, you actually have 30% coverage. So the actual risk to the bank is lower on a 5% down than a 20% down loan. Huh. So that's why most people are like, "Oh, I don't want mortgage." I'm like, "Wait, I want to give you that loan. I got I have insurance more than if you brought in 20%. That is actually the most risky, okay? Of most of them because we don't have any coverage and it's the least amount of equity that we have to work with because anything above that I have more coverage. So like a 5% or a 15% down, right? 85%. I have 12% coverage on that. So it's better than actually putting down 20%. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's why people should not be scared about mortgage insurance. And when I break down those facts, right? How it's good to have um the mortgage insurance is there and it protects everybody involved like the lender. So um you know, the the mortgage insurance goes away. It's also reducing um it's it's a factor rate it's not going to stay there and it'll decrease after 10 years as well if you're in it for a long time or or here's the amount of time that you're in it and you can always pay it off sooner that's when it starts to break down the actual scare of getting into a homeowner or into a home instead of just trying to sit there and save 20% down in this crazy market uh, see then that's that's the difference maker with you compared to i mean i deal with a lot of mortgage loan officers constantly too but you're actually willing to take the time to explain these things too i uh, what you just said is huge because everybody does fear mortgage insurance they just it's not such a fear it's just it's like i don't want that i have to pay yeah. more you know that's that's the main thing right there is how do i get rid of that oh 20% down i can get rid of it and then i don't have to pay that extra on the insurance that's going to nowhere yeah. you know that's kind of the argument with it and that's just everybody's mindset towards it so what you 100%. said was huge yeah so i i will say like i have a 100% conversion on somebody that comes in that's scared of mortgage insurance and doesn't want to apply for a loan <laughs> will apply for a loan and be out in the streets because I'm like you are waiting so you're going to just pay a landlord then for the next 4 years like you're talking about throwing away money. Let's talk about how much money that you're throwing away in the next 4 years just because you don't want to pay mortgage insurance of $160 a month. But damn it, you are totally willing to pay that person over there 2 Gs every single month that you get your you get a place that they get to kick you out of. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, once again spot on too, which I don't understand 
that aspect of it too, how somebody would rather rent than that's all it's a whole nother topic and we can get into it too. Why somebody I mean, I understand if credit issues are there and so on, they can't get a mortgage, then okay, your only option is a rental, but there is people that would rather rent for reasons like you said, but the rental is either higher or the same as what it would be for them to have a mortgage and own their own place. So that never made sense to me. I mean, good for the landlords. They're making yeah. money. They own it. They're making more, you know, it's tax reason. Obviously there's so many factors into it. So good. You know, people are always going to rent, but some people don't have to rent, but they do. And I still never understood that, but maybe you I'm do just, more than that. <laughs> what I, and they're not uneducated people they're uneducated about home ownership yeah. you know because here's another thing a typical loan officer and, and i'm not bashing lows i'm saying that we as a organization and we as an industry do not educate our loan officers based upon facts what we do is tell them to pick up the telephone and to sell a rate or to yeah. sell something right we don't listen to the consumer we don't teach them enough right and so that's why there's more lawsuits like um i use a special program good shout out to my uh my bud dave savage um and a mortgage coach i mean it's brilliant and he created a software that i use and in our whole bank actually is is now implemented to start using it but they um it shows the reamortization. It taught you know on a refinance. It talks about like what are the actual savings? Should we be paying paying points or no points? Like there's a lot of media, no points, no points, no closing costs, and you know you should never pay for all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, and then they get a slightly higher interest rate, and they don't understand. We're not educating the consumer enough where we're not educating our loan officers enough who are on the actual streets and doing all those, um, you know, front facing conversations. So what I'm doing at, at Cornerstone and, and why we're expanding so far right now is I am a loan officer. So last year I did 519 transactions for 243 million while I actually ran and operated Cornerstone. Okay. So I am in the same battlefields that you guys are at at the same time. But the reason also why I'm doing is because I'm I'm educating my branch managers and I'm educating my loan officers on the conversations that I'm having and teaching them more. So when they're in front of their clients, they're less likely to lose the clients because we're not just selling an interest rate. Yeah, we give awesome rates. And it's just part of the package. But I want to educate the consumer because when they walk out of the closing, they're like, damn, I'm with the right company because of the education piece. Yeah, no, I love that. And so let's go into that a little bit too, in your education too. Like how, obviously I know how you are, you've explained that as far as, you know, going above and beyond really educating the customer, which is rare too. I mean, not just worrying about the sale, obviously you're going to get the sale because you know it with all the education you're giving, you're giving is important too. How are you doing that throughout your company with so many employees? How are you training them the same same way to keep them in line where it's just not pick up the phone, sell a rate, you know, and if they don't take it, hang up, call the next. Pure psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Complete fucking crazy person that will work 15 hours a day and still have a smile on their face. No, uh, <laughs> no, that is true. Um, 
if you ask anyone at Cornerstone, I am extremely involved in their business. I never will stop working and I never will stop helping individuals. So, uh, you know, loan officers, branch managers, underwriters, LOAs, processors, everyone across the board has me at all times because I always think that you can accomplish a lot of things when you're proactive and you can also accomplish a lot of things when you're, when you know exactly the question or exactly what needs to be trained instead of like this floofy bullshit. Right. So I can sit on the phone and literally talk about nothing for one hour. I can, I can truly do it. I also can get on the phone and educate somebody and it's a stepping stone. I don't try to blast them with a, you know, every single income thing on the planet all in one day, it's like a year, two years, three year education, right? So it's like, okay, here, here's a really good income thing. And let's parlay that. Let's, let's go that into another part of the income and then another part of the income and another part of the income. So, but they're very pieced out and it's, and it's in small little bites, right? So it's a, it's a long progress. That's why a lot of people have been with me for a long time and, or expecting to be with me for a long time because of the education piece. Um, but I, I'm constantly trying to teach and trying to train individuals on all the actual specifics of a mortgage, not just so much like of the act of the interest rate. So it takes a long time, but it's, and it's a lot of hours to do it. Um, so that's how I do it is I do it in little teeny bite sizes so that every single person actually gets the fulfillment of education, right? But they're not learning too much and I'm not throwing too much at their brain for them to memorize at one time. Makes so sense too, yeah. which is yeah, definitely the right strategy to do too. One thing you're doing too is educating obviously your customers, which I've seen online too with your with your brand, the Mortgage Geek. Yeah, uh, you started that. I love it. Um, you're doing educational videos. I watched a few of them too. Uh, let's start here, and then I'll go into some questions too because I okay. saw one of your videos. Why the Mortgage Geek? Why did you start that? Uh, obviously, everybody listening, definitely go check it out. Because if you got questions with mortgages, this man right here is ans probably answered every single question you can imagine, you know, with all your content you're putting out. But why that brand? Why that persona? How'd that start? Um, so I was on radio and somebody just said, Hey man, you're so smart. You're like a mortgage geek. So then I did one commercial and I was like, I'm the mortgage geek. And then I never use it again. And then in 2017 or 2016, I partnered up with a studio. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, hey, this industry's finally getting out of the dinosaur age, you know, the T-Rex age, <laughs> and we're going to start doing some fun stuff. So I was watching um, a lot of media. So I went into marketing. And then on the way to film my first video, my um, assistant at the time was like, oh my gosh, like mortgage geek, we put on some glasses. And she was like, here, where are my glasses? And I was like, this is a great idea. <laughs> and so we were at the studio, we put on the glasses and then she was like, Hey, hold on real quick. Let's, this is really cool because the geek let's put, and we literally took a piece of white paper, cut it, wrapped it around and then put some uh, scotch tape over the top of it. And then I was like, and then she was like, put it on. So I wore someone else's glasses that were actually like meant for like reading. <laughs> so I was like, my eyes were all messed up. And then, and it was literally just a piece of paper in between. And that's no joke how the mortgage geek started. That's awesome. Yeah. It was just, 
there was no business plan. It was, we need to start educating people. And as you can tell, I'm kind of, I, I got a lot of energy. I mean, shit, it is four o'clock and, you know, and I'm like, ah, like always, <laughs> I love it. I'm, yeah, um, I'm, I'm jealous, man. I wish I had your energy at four o'clock. I'm having my Starbucks for the, for that <laughs> afternoon. Pick me up, you know, for sure. <laughs> I don't need Starbucks, um, but I do love Starbucks. It even like, I go to cloud 900, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, so that's how the mortgage geek started, but it was all about education. And also I always say, find your, find your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. My weakness still to this day is remembering to call my past clients and remembering to call the agents. Okay. So what I did was when I created the mortgage geek, that is now my strength because I'm really good at marketing and so that ties me to my consumers, that ties me to my past clients, and that ties me to my real estate partners so that they remember who I am through my actual marketing uh, criteria. So it was, I needed to create something to overcome my weakness. And that's, that's how it really started. Um, and then education. So I think education is everything. That's why I started a coaching program as well. But um, it, then I, you know, and then I just play with a lot of different stuff. So as you can see, like over the years of the mortgage geek and I, and I think between all platforms, I actually just broke like six or 7 million views. Um, it is, it's purely from the education piece and more and more people are getting tied, you know, to the education piece of it. And then I throw in a lot of fun shit too, but that's how <laughs> no, the mortgage geek was created. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, I mean, what you did too, you, you me and you, I, I, you can relate to you a lot. That's one of my weaknesses too, is I'm so all over the place. Sometimes I forget to call the customer too. I do a ton of content, marketing, stuff like that. I haven't formed the building geek yet, but um, <laughs> you know, maybe that's something that's coming in the future. But I obviously have my brand and so on too. But what you're doing is so smart. Because you are giving information to your clients and you're answering the questions without having to contact them for them to ask you those questions. They can just go to your platforms and everything's there. It's all laid out and you're answering stuff that people wouldn't even think about either. You know, and, and that's just your knowledge in general. You're, you, I mean, you say, you say you're not the smartest person in the room. I, I think you're pretty damn smart. So, uh, because <laughs> to go to cover the stuff that you're covering too, and the knowledge that you have and taking the time and reading and, and learning the stuff that you have too. I mean, that's, that takes smarts to do it. Because uh, not a lot of people are willing to put in the time or have the patience to do it, too. So props to you on that. Give you a lot of credit. Um, one of your videos, though, too, I was watching. You were talking about refinancing because you kind of touched on refis, too. So let's get back into kind of the education aspect of it. Uh, you were saying, you know, sometimes a refi is good or bad. A lot of people are refinancing these days because they're obviously interest rates are lower. So when is the right time to refinance? Just brush on this a little bit. Um, is there a bad time? Is you know, because in the top of mind, people are like, "Oh, I got equity. I'm gonna probably refinance and you know, pull out some money and pay off some credit cards." 
So yeah, so that's actually a really good point. So there's no real right time and there's not a wrong time really to refinance. It's all about your goals, right? And so if you actually just talk to a normal consumer, their goal is, oh, I want to refinance. Well, why? Because I want to lower my payment. Well, cool. Well, I can definitely do that, but I don't know if if you totally understand what that's going to do. So like um, fun fact, eight years in your mortgage on a 30 year mortgage, the first eight years, you actually, it's just a tab at over 40% of all the interest that's due for the whole 30 years. Okay. So when somebody comes to me after eight years of being in their mortgage, which is very common. Okay. Not everyone has just, you know, been in a habitual refinance, like, you know, constantly doing it. They will come to me and Hey, I want to refinance. And, I'm going to lower my rate a half a percent. This sounds great. My payment's going down 500 bucks. And I'm like, well, the payment's going down $500 because all I'm doing is I'm just re-extending your loan back out 30 years. So let's actually look at how much interest that you're going to be paying Yeah. to really see the benefit of it. And when I tell them that, they go, whoa, wait a second. I don't want to do that because I'm technically paying more. And I'm like, aha, exactly. So I think nine and a half years, if you don't lower it, and if you're going back into a 30 year from a 30 year, if you lower your interest rate 1.25 or less, then you're actually going to pay more interest and re actual extend it out. So like the old theory of, well, I've always been told that if I'm dropping to 1%, I always should refinance. I'm like, no, that's, that's incorrect too. How I figured this out was I literally just pulled off amortization schedules and I started on my, I got TI-83 calculator and I bring it everywhere (laughs) with me. It's in my briefcase. TI-83 plus always use it. It makes you smart and I love it to death. Um, It's like high school math, but (laughs) I just started like trying to figure this stuff out because I was like, I got to figure out these break-even points because when I'm telling a consumer when to refinance or not to refinance, I better know exactly. So um, you know, every, every single situation is slightly different, but essentially if you've been in your mortgage for 10 years and you're not dropping more than one and a quarter, never go back to a 30 year. Or if you are dropping one and a quarter, just know you will literally pay the same amount of interest. Your payment's just going to be lower because I'm re re extending you out 30 years again. Mm-hmm. So then they go, Oh, well, my payment's less, but I pay more. I'm like, exactly. So if you're going to take that savings of $500. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to put in your bank and say, I got $500 more? Well, then I don't want you to do the refi. If you're going to say, I'm going to take that $500 and I'm working with a financial advisor and I'm going to take that, I'm going to put it into the market. So I'm paying the same amount of interest that I was. Now I freed up $500 to go put it into an, you know, a compounding interest, um, uh, you know, like a liquid fund, then, oh my gosh, that can be actually a really smart idea. So that's something. So I go one step farther. It's not about the actual $500. It's what are we doing with it? How much of effect is it going to take? What are the amount of the cost? Are we actually rolling in the cost, not rolling in the cost? So there's a lot of things. So when people kind of get in touch with me about a refinance, they're going to get their earful of a lot more information rather than just lowering their payment. Yeah. And that's the problem. Once again, is majority of people, Oh, you want to refinance? All right, let's do it. Uh, you know, here's, here's the new rates. I can get you locked in at this boom sales done. What you're doing is you're extending on that and saying, listen, if you do this, you're going to pay more in interest over time. That's stupid. You know, it's, it, why would you do that when you can just, you're nine years in whatever it it's, 
it's the information and people don't know this stuff. And that's what's so, I mean, what you're doing, that's what makes you stand out. It's huge, man. Like, yeah. And not everyone wants a refinance. Like I actually talk to quite a few people out of a refinance. Cause I said, I will not do your refinance because your goal is to save interest and you're not saving interest. Right. Yeah. So if you are willing to do a 20 year or a 15 year, cause you've been in your mortgage so long, I would be more than happy to, but I don't feel comfortable putting you into a mortgage when you tell me what your goals are and I'm not achieving it. It's only, it's only look like I'm actually saving you money, but I'm actually not. So um, I, I am very firm. I, you know, a deal won't change my life ever. Right. One deal, five deals will never change my life. One negative client that will change my life. One mm-hmm. person that I fuck over will change my life. Mm-hmm. So I got to look out for them. And in turn, it looks out for me. Right. So if I focus on everyone else's well-being, in the end, I will then also win. Yeah. But if I only look out for myself, I will not win. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why I got so detailed in that stuff is because I got to look out for everybody else and the shit will come back to me. I promise. Oh, and it's yeah. kind of like where I'm at now. Right. Why so many people. So I think by the end of the year, I'll have over 50 branches and it's a lot of people just going like, I want to work for somebody like that. You know, I want to work with somebody that's like always going above and beyond for everyone else. And then, you know, and not, not just looking at myself. It always wins in the end. I mean, it's a short-term versus a long-term perspective, too. I mean, you're playing the long-term game. The long-term always wins. I mean, these short terms, they're going to be out the door, especially when things slow down. I say with building, too, uh, all the time on our building. And, I mean, there's so many people coming out of the woodworks now because construction's going nuts. And it's like, you know, how, how can I make quick money, screw people over? And then they're gone in two years. And I even try and educate people. I had a phone call today. Guy was way out of, you know, he could not afford to build with us. I still took the time to try and, you know, he asked me questions. I could have just said, Hey, you know, good luck to you. See you later. No, I took the time because you never know in the future. He might come back when he can't afford to build with us and build build a luxury home. He's going to remember that I took the time that, 15 minutes out of my day or 10 minutes out of my day to help educate them on, okay, if you're going to go this direction, red flag. If this person, if this builder says they're this much a square foot, run the other way. Cause you're probably going to be the one to get burnt. Somebody is in the back end, you know, cheaper isn't better. And I try and educate people as much as possible, just like you with what you're doing with the mortgage geek. Cause that's what wins over time. You're going to win over time because you care. That's the difference. Yeah. Care. <laughs> How you have a conscience. It's such, <laughs> it's such a simple word, right? That most people are just like, Whoop. yeah. Right. Cause we're in the, we're in the world right now of like glam, you know, and Instagram and, and Facebook and like show off and blow cash. And we're, you know, like me, 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 me type of situation. And I'm watching it get carried across. It's, it's wild. Even like those builders, like, why are they coming in right now? They're taking time. It's very lucrative. They can build something. They can fucking jam after two years because they know that they cut every single corner on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they have no intentions of having, you know, any type of, 
of, uh, you know, warranty base or whatever. I mean, they're going to try to scoot around. They'll probably get screwed. You know, they'll probably screw a lot of people over. And it's just wild that, Mm -hmm. you know, how many times that I'm seeing that even on the builder side, like new people come in. That's why using an old established builder is so much more powerful or using somebody that really does care and and extend warranty or the after the, what happens after my house is built and two years later, do you have a process like that? And I want to see that. So that's pretty cool that you already do that. Yeah. We even, like I always tell people too, we're all about long-term your warranty is one year with us, but even after the fact too, we're going to be that kind of concierge to where if you need something, call us. Uh, If it's something, and I've been good with people too. If it's something that should not have happened, I take care of it. You know, yeah. if it's if it's five years down the road and it was I had this situation, I've told this story in the past. Drywall screw was sticking, you know, through there's a there's a PVC or there's a pipe that was loose that was supposed to be attached to the stud. Well, my plumber didn't attach it five years ago. It was just dangling behind a toilet. Every time the toilet would flush, pipe would vibrate. There's go figure, there's a drywall screw that was punched in sitting right there. Well, over yeah. time boom, big water line break. We took care of it. We didn't have to, we could have said, well, you're five years in this house. It could have been this, this, and this. No good customer. Very good client. Ours took care of them. Didn't have to do it. Guys referred us multiple times even since. So it's just, it's doing the right thing, man. It's like you just said, care about your customer actually have a conscience too. And I mean, even in your business, there's so many people getting into it, even in real estate with all the realtors, you know, flooding the market, you know, how many people right now, cause they know real estate's on fire. Hey man, thinking about getting my real estate license, yeah. any tips? I mean, I'm sure you hear that constantly too. And it's like, yeah, work your ass off. It took me 10 years. <laughs> I've been doing, I've been a licensed broker now for four, uh, 10 years in real estate altogether. And I go, it's taken me a while to get to where I am, but it's just busting my ass. You know, I want to be recommend, but I'm doing the stuff you got to do to get ahead, just like yourself. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's not like they all say, just go to your sphere of influence. And then Aunt Tammy's going to, you know, buy a house from you. And then then you're going to get a referral from her. And it's just money's going to start pouring down. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, 100%. But um, one thing getting towards the end here, because we've been going just one more thing before I get into some personal questions, education wise, closing cost, obviously huge thing to buyers and sellers, uh, fear of theirs. Um, You know, let's discuss this. Is there a way around closing costs? What are they? How are they determined? I get this question all the time. Okay. So on a refinance, um, essentially closing costs are fixed. Okay. So depending upon your loan size, but and in geographic area, like your title, your escrow, or if you don't have title, your attorney, or you always have title. I mean, your escrow, your attorney, your state, whatever, those are all fixed costs. Um, if somebody says that there's no closing costs, what they're doing is they're giving you a higher rate to offset that interest rate by paying the closing costs because the closing costs still exist. Okay. There's no such thing as a no closing costs. Now on a purchase, Again, on a purchase contract, it's always there's always fees, right? So even if you look at it, it's like, oh, it's a 50-50 split, which is a very common one on a purchase contract, then your 50% is what the lender sends to you. The lender does not send you the whole amount and then say, oh, well, the seller's going to pay for this amount of it. 
that is your 50%, right? Typically. Um, no, again, I always, here's the thing that I always live by and tell everyone. There's always an exception to every rule. So, but we have to create a rule to make the exception. If everything was an exception, then we really wouldn't have a rule. So what I always speak about is the rule. And then some people are, oh, well, this didn't happen with mine. Well, cool. That's an exception. So um, the, uh, sorry about that. The uh, closing cost. So like on an average, $200,000, $300,000 closing costs, you're probably going to spend about like 2500 bucks on a refinance. Okay. Those are your fixed costs. Now, anything above that or 25, 3000, right around there, depending on what the lender charges. Okay. There's a small variance. Anything above that is typically just points, right? So mm -hmm. points drives down your rate because you're paying prepaid interest to get a lower rate. And then if you don't want to pay points and pay a higher rate. So the bank says, Hey, if you pay a higher rate for a longer period of time, I win. If you want to pay points, it's like, hey, I'm going to prepay the interest up front. I'm going to give you a little boost, but I'm going to give you a lower interest rate. So over the time, it's lower. That's it. So those are like the pretty much the same. What's interesting about like the loan estimate itself on the closing cost is that it includes your prepaid. So don't get sticker shock at the actual number that says, this is your closing cost. And it's like, in, you know, 25 black font, bold, <laughs> underlitten, like with spotlights on it every single time. It's like your closing costs are like $15,000 on an FHA loan. And people are like, this is crazy. You know, I'm so scared. <laughs> Look to the right of it. Okay. Look to the right of it where it's like in like eight font that's like grayed out that you can't read because fixed closing costs. So there's, there's three different parts of a closing cost, right? There's your fixed cost. Okay. Those are the third party fees, the prepaids, that's prepaid interest, prepaid taxes, and also, um, interest. Okay. Prepaid interest. So that's not actually a third party fee. That's just, this just goes along with owning a home, right? Property taxes never go away. Homeowners insurance never goes away and interest while you have a loan never goes away. Okay. That's not, that's not a fee, but it's included in that bulk. Now, if you're doing a government loan, FHA loan, or doing a VA loan that if you're, if you're not eligible for um, it to be removed, that is part of that, but that's called a finance fee and it's rolled on top of your loan amount. So yes, it's in here as your total cost, but it's not like you have to come out of pocket. Here's another rule that I live by. On a purchase, have a thought process. You have to come in with the cash. On a refinance, thought process, you can most of the time roll it in. That is the difference. A lot of refinance people forget about that. They come and they say, oh my God, I didn't know I was having to come out of pocket. Yes, purchase out of pocket, refinance, normally not. And that's a really easy way to determine like which one you're going to come out of pocket. I'm learning every time, learning more and more with you, man. I'd probably keep you on for another hour if I wanted to with all the questions I got, but I know you're a busy man. But now if anybody wants to hear more, go, they can easily go check out more information, obviously on your all your social media sites, which we'll get to that too. Uh, la last thing too, before I get into personal questions too, yes, sir. the dreaded question you always get is where do you see the mortgage rates, where do you see the market going as, as a professional? What do you think? The crystal ball says <laughs> that homeowners will be able to get a mortgage. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, man, I don't, I don't have a fucking idea. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a lot of inflation. We printed a bunch of uh, cash. Um, 
and are they expecting interest rates to increase? They were, but mm-hmm. the last like three days we've gained back like 75. And now they're saying that we're going to break like into the next tier. And, um, the 2% coupon right now is starting to look like there's some, maybe some money coming back into the 2% coupon. And if that happens, then the interest rates might be going back in the two, you know, two and a quarter to two and a half range again. So, and this was something that like, literally, I think last week, everyone's like, those days are over. And now it's like, no, they're coming back. (laughs) So if you're ever trying to shop or search for a specific interest rate in order to make something, you know, work for you personally, and you've run over all the numbers, well, then just sit back. And and if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Um, You know, if the trend continues to go right now, over the next you know couple more days and and we had really good three days in a row well then hey jump on it here's where most people fail is that they're not in position to actually take advantage of it they don't put themselves into a position they call they call 10 people and they say what's your rate oh that's not what i wanted then they call the next person i got offered this and it's like no you didn't uh why didn't you if you did you would have taken it right What's your rate? What's your rate? So they go to so many people, they go online, what's your rate, 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 rate. And then what happens is that interest rate comes into the market, like let's say a week later, right? And then they start calling around again. What's your rate again? What's your rate? What's your rate? And then by the time, and then they choose somebody because they have the lowest rate. So they've wasted a couple of days. Now they do their application. Now they send over the supporting documentation and now the interest rate goes away. And then they get mad at the loan officer or the bank because they didn't lock the rate. And it's like, holy shit, did you, I know I'm drinking from a fire hose right now, but and all the water I didn't catch. So consumers, stop just calling around and put yourself into a position. Pick somebody that you like. Pick somebody that you think that has your best interest in mind. There's no such thing as the bottom. There's always someone that's going to be cheaper. There's always going to be someone that's going to be more expensive. It's all about actually how much time too, because like, I've been in situations where a client left me because of $2,000, but then their transaction took five months. So the amount of interest that they paid over that five months that they're re-amortizing was way more than that two grand. So they actually lost money by going with a guy for two grand savings, right? And so um, I think that the interest rates right now are kind of creeping back and they're, and they're lowering right now. So they're kind of creeping back into like that two and a half range, which would be super cool or 2.75%. If it happens, I would say, put yourself into a position that if it happens, you can lock the loan, get your application, submit your paperwork, do about an hour of work. Who cares? <laughs> because that one hour of work can turn into thousands and, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of savings. Boom. Heard it from the best right there. Yeah, I love that. Great answer. I mean, that's it's it's true though. It, like it happens with everybody. It happens in every business. So I get it constantly too, where everybody shops around, they shop different builder. I mean, everybody's so fixated on cost, price, this and that. And then in the end, it, it ends up biting them in the, in the ass because, you know, it's just like, come on, you want quality, you want, it's on my, on my field, you want quality, you want good construction, you want a relationship that's going to last, go with us. If not, you want a builder that's going to, your house is going to fall apart, you'll never hear from them again, go that direction. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, I just closed, my wife and I just closed on a new home for ourselves and 
I found the house. This goes to show you. So like everyone says that the market's at the peak, right? And so I'm buying. And I had no idea what the interest rate was going to be, but I want to say, you guys, look at this. I found the home that I like. And in that time period, I somehow got the lowest interest rate that that bank ever, it was lower than what I can give my, from my own bank free. They, it was, I was just in the right position. I felt really comfortable. So I started going with them. The guy called me. He's like, do you want to lock? I looked at, I was like, holy shit, that's crazy. So I locked it. Now people are like, how did you get that? And I'm like, I was in the position <laughs> and the market came down and I made a decision and I moved on, but I didn't shop around. I didn't call 10 different people. So that just goes to show like I was I lucky absolutely was I the smartest plan not at all I had no I I was good with the rate that they offered me in the beginning and then I just put myself into a position to succeed so I think consumers need to do that more often yeah stop dragging your feet and more of the story there stop dragging your feet just do what feels right to you and just move forward if you're ready to buy a house buy a house you know stop waiting because the longer you wait the worse it's gonna get you know, I mean, it's, it's never, you never know when it's going to be the perfect time. If we can, like you said, the crystal ball predict the future, we'd all be loaded and we'd all be rich and we'd all be, you know, living it and they're just rates wouldn't, nothing would matter. So, yeah. you know, so I'd anyway. be literally a billionaire if I had yeah. a crystal ball and Exactly. Be skateboarding. <laughs> yeah there you go there you go sean it's been awesome man I, yeah. quick personal questions real quick yes, before you leave i ask these to everybody what about you personally what lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own businesses or our own lives that can help us grow slow down just slow down uh that was the biggest thing that covid taught me and i love it um just value what's happening in your current life and not always looking forward. Okay. Mm -hmm. Looking forward is very powerful, but just kind of slow down, value the things around you because now you become more successful because you can make different pivots and different moves instead of making everything like a knee jerk reaction. And uh, that's helped. Actually, I think COVID has helped me so much more than I ever could think that sometimes I actually, and I'm not saying this because of, you know, a lot of people passed away and, and I feel bad and it has nothing to do about that. I'm saying what I always try to look at the best of, of everything that I do. And even during those shit times and then like my wife lost a restaurant, it sucked. Right. I look at that and I go, wow, that, that thing was so powerful that I actually almost liked what happened to me during that time. And so it made me slow down, spend more time, realize what I have, and then I can move forward. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah. That's, it's one thing for a lot of people too. Obviously it's an unfortunate time, but I think a lot of people, there is going to be good that comes out of bad. There always is obviously. And especially in business too, and especially during those times we all had to pivot no matter where we are or what situation and it's all how people reacted and did different things i love your answer though too um because i mean it was a time to kind of reflect and be like okay what next what do i need to do to uh get ahead and keep my company rolling help my family provide for them too so i yeah. love that man um another question i always ask i always ask about your past what about your future so where will we see sean and ten five, 10, 15 years from now, who will you be? 
I'm going to be the same dude in the same <laughs> outfit. Uh, maybe like just one more tattoo. And ho- hopefully I'm praying that it works, that I have one more kid. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, you got two girls. You probably want that boy, huh? I'm sure. <laughs> no, I want to be a girl dad all the way. Oh, yeah. I want a third girl. Yeah, there you go. Man, look at me. I don't want to, I don't want another one of me. That's that's crazy. <laughs> um no, boys boys and girls, um, I am a girl dad and I love it to death. Um, but have another boy, have another I just want another kid. I just want to I just want a third and love my wife, love my family, love having the little kids around. So um if I can get one more, that'd be freaking awesome. And uh 10 years, I'm still gonna be running cornerstone. Um, I'm I can guarantee I'll still be wearing the same outfit. So I literally wear if I'm not in a suit, I wear the same outfit. Um <laughs> white V-neck, chino pants, and some, you know, regular shoes. So um, and then I hope to, you know, have a lot of branches and a lot of people surrounding me so that we're just constantly educating people. I don't ever plan on on leaving this industry. I don't know what I would actually do. Nice, man. No, this has been awesome. I can tell you're definitely, I have no doubt you're going to definitely be there. Like just your passion, your, and the way you're trying to just, you're doing it for good. You're trying to help people and not just sell people. That's the difference maker too with you. Uh, I can tell. So props to you, man. No doubt. Uh, yeah, thanks, you're gonna, yeah, you're going to be uh, very, very successful in your business too and help a lot of people. So um, another thing real quick, obviously last question, what this show is all about, what exactly do people need to look for when getting a mortgage or hiring a loan officer and why should they choose Sean Cahan uh, as their loan officer of choice? I always say the number one thing that you should look at is their knowledge of the industry and the actual facts. So that is why I want you to use me, call me. I promise you, I answer the questions because most of the questions are, you know, have an answer that is a fact, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or a direction. And I will find that direction or I'll find the fact to support whatever information that you're looking for. And, uh, you know, I spend a lot of, even though I do a lot of transactions, I have a lot on my plate. People say, oh my gosh, you must be so busy. I'm not busy. Call me. I answer. I text. I help. And, uh, and there's enough time how I've structured my day to help as many people that want to call me. Love it, man. Yeah, that's the most important part of it too. So I, it's just, you're, you're answering people, you're taking care of them. Uh, and that's what matters to in every business. It's what you're doing is huge. And like I said, I give you a lot of props for it and no doubt that you're going to have a lot of continued success with what you're doing as well. So last thing, where can people find, connect, hire you, sign up with you, get a mortgage with you, refi with you, where, where can they find Sean? I mean, you can always find me everywhere. So if you just search the mortgage geek, I actually uh, have that trademark, the mortgage geek. So I hold the trademark for the mortgage geek. So if you ever like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the mortgage geek, um, call my cell. You can ping me. However, you can slide into my DMs. You can text message me. My cell phone is on the whole world or um you can actually just put into your Google Sean Cahan and I will be the first page. Um, there's a lot of different like articles and I was uh, lucky enough to be uh, one of the top 
um, candidates to be followed in 2021 by Yahoo Finance actually last month. So that was pretty powerful. So, um, yeah, my information is very easy. Just don't forget Sean Cahan or what's even easier, the mortgage geek, and you will find me everywhere. So, yeah, sometimes I dress in a wig. Yeah, there you go. I mean, any questions you guys have, go check Sean's stuff out for sure. I mean, that's been awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on today, brother. It's been, you know, ton of good information. Like I said, I can probably keep you here for two hours, but you are a busy man. And I know you, you got to go tend to a lot of customers right now because this market's nuts. So I do appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you. Uh, what a wicked podcast and I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll continue to stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. And as always guys, thank you for listening, like comment, share this podcast, five stars only on my reviews, because that's all I accept. And I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the real build. And guys, if you would just take a little bit of your time to write a review below, I'd really appreciate it. It doesn't take long. Obviously, reviews are going to make this show be heard by more people. And that's what we need. We need to get this out there. So please write a review, share it with your friends and family. And thank you so much for everybody that's listening. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.